Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we get going, you can subscribe to my writing site at grantwall.com. I am in Qatar for 37 days doing daily coverage of World Cup 2022. That's grantwall.com. Lots to talk about here. U.S. men's national team, Germany out, Mexico out, Belgium out, U.S. in. Let's bring in Chris Whittingham. How are you, Chris? Madness. I, and it was funny uh, because Mike Ryan and myself, we do our, our World Cup live show after the game's end. And we decided to do one in between the games that in Group E and Group F because we're like, I mean, Spain and Germany are going to get through. No problem. What's even the what's even the point of doing a show after that? And yep, we I, I, I'm giving betting advice to my friends. I'm a disaster at this World Cup. I can't predict a thing right. I, like I, 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 people should start fading me. I'm going to start giving these very strident bits of advice and to just tell people to do the opposite because everything that I believe about this World Cup is a lie. It's wrong. Two of my semifinalists in my predictions were Belgium and Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> I got to, I got to check mine. I'm sure mine is a catastrophe. You know, like I had my moments. I had Australia advancing. I don't know too many people who did, but. Um, you know, I had the U.S. advancing. I actually got Group A and Group B totally right. Um, but, you know, you're going to miss some stuff at World Cups. And there was a moment for about four minutes tonight when Spain and Germany were both out. And mm-hmm. that was wild. Germany ends up being out for the second straight World Cup in the group stage. And that's it's just so wild but it also makes you value even more what the US has done to get to the round of 16 it's guaranteed to nobody you have yeah. to earn it and for the US to do it mexico didn't do it mexico's out at the expense of a poland team that i think is terrible i completely agree and unwatchable <laughs> on top of it i yes. i do not that that will be. I will look at the fixtures and I will say, "Look, I need a break at some point during the World Cup. I've tried to watch every single second of it. I'm not going to watch <laughs> Poland again. And if God forbid they get through to a quarterfinal, I, I'm going. My plan is to not watch a live second of a Poland match for the remainder <laughs> of this tournament. It's really incredible how bad they are, and they've advanced. Somewhat, we had a debate today in our house here about. Which is the worst team that advanced, Poland or Australia? And my point about Australia was they've won two games and they actually had a really nice finish against Denmark. And so it also Poland, seemed like, like the, so they, much they worse up, than Australia. They set out to achieve something. Like at yeah. the very least, they had the intent of, with a game plan and exit. What is Poland even trying to do other than just exist? And somehow profit off of uh, the misfortunes of Saudi Arabia and Mexico. Like, I, what are they even trying to achieve at this World Cup? They're just there, and it's it's the same at the Euros. Whenever they're at the Euros, they're just making up the numbers. They're in the round of sixteen. Germany is yep. not. Yeah, um, it's a wild tournament. But let's talk U.S. now because I I, I want to get into this. We are two days out from USA Netherlands round of sixteen first game in the knockout rounds. Uh, first time the U.S. has not kicked off at 10 p.m. local. It's going to be 6 p.m. local. So 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. The big question, is Christian Pulisic going to be healthy enough to play and play at full speed? 
U.S. Soccer brings Christian Pulisic out for the press conference today. Bit of a surprise. And it was really interesting, actually, because as you would expect, he said, I'm going to do everything in my power to play in this game. I think he's going to play in this game. Um, I don't know how close he's going to be to 100%. You would certainly hope that he would be. But knowing him, he would take every painkiller under the sun to play in this game to start this game. And, you know, he, he's it, like a very interesting quote from him. So uh, my friend Michele Giannone from Tudane asks, yep. Christian, you've now had your Landon Donovan Algeria moment. You've had your World Cup moment, scoring a goal against Iran to send the U.S. to the knockout rounds. How do you feel about that? And Pulisic's response, which I think is pretty authentic, was... I hope that's not my moment. I want to have my moment later on in this tournament. That's what I want to have. So, and, he, and when he said that, it was clear he wasn't necessarily referring to just this Netherlands game. He wants to, the U.S. to go on a deep run. Weston McKenney in the post game the other night, it hasn't been remarked on that much, but sort of dropped in. We want to get to the final. Mm -hmm. And nobody laughed like they shouldn't. Walker Zimmerman said the same to us today on the Dan Levitard show. We had him on the program, and he's like, do you guys think you beat the Netherlands? They're like, yeah, we think we can go all the way. And I, the, the more players that say it, the more it sort of seems like it's been a stated goal around the place, right? That you you develop enough confidence, and we can sort of get to the tactical matchups with the Netherlands, but you develop enough confidence in the overall, in your ability to play, in your ability to defend. Because for as much as the U.S. have only scored two goals in this tournament, I think in the overall, their ability to play with the ball is much improved on you, you know teams in the World Cup past. You compare it to 2014. I mean, in 2014, the U.S. would spend massive stretches without the ball. And it seems like when they don't have it, it's almost by choice, which is, I guess, the frustrating part of it for the fans, right? Is why can't you just play this way for the full 90 minutes instead of trying to hold on to one nils against Wales uh, and against Iran? But it seems like the U.S., have developed a style where they can use the ball. They just have to be more threatening with it in, in the final third. But getting into the final third, having Yunus Musa come forward and and having their, their defenders be able to play forward, they've been way better at this tournament than I would have expected. And so you can compete with anybody. And if you can keep clean sheets, which, have, which they've done twice in the group stage, why couldn't you have that level of belief that maybe you can beat the Netherlands on Saturday and honestly could potentially set up what, in, in my opinion, would be the biggest game in American World Cup history. USA, be... Australia. <laughs> oh, man, can you imagine if they played Messi in a quarterfinal of a World Cup? That would be insane. Now, like, it's one of those things where you look at sort of the bracket, the way that it shapes out, and you allow yourself to dream. But it's, it's ridiculous to look past the Netherlands. So we should Correct. focus on this game. But for the moment... You allow yourself to dream, and and I think these players have allowed themselves to do so because why wouldn't they back themselves on the basis of the performances that they put in so far at this World Cup? No, I, the England game can be a barometer. They played toe-to-toe -to -toe with England. They had slightly better scoring chances. They got a point. There's no reason to feel fearful going onto the field with the Netherlands, which they won't, and we'll see how the Netherlands performs. Is it? I mean... I thought they did pretty well against Senegal in the end, but they struggled at times. They tied Ecuador, which I that's a team I respect, but 
if Ecuador can get a result against the Netherlands, the U.S. certainly can. I guess the question for me is how many goals can the U.S. score against the Netherlands? That's the question once you get to the knockout rounds. I don't want the U.S. to be playing for penalties and hoping right. to win on penalties because that's a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they'll play that way, but there are choices Greg Berhalter can make to show how much he cares about trying to score. Gio Reyna is, along with Pulisic, the best American attacker. And Greg Berhalter, I don't think, believes this right now. I don't. Otherwise, mm -hmm. he would have played more than seven minutes. Right. And, and so for me, that's why I want to see Weah at center forward. I know we're not going to. It's frustrating that we're not going to. Because I'd love to see Weah center forward, Pulisic winger, Reyna winger, or Aronson winger. Mm -hmm. It kind of kills me that it's just not possible. Why is it yeah, not I mean possible? That, well, I mean, ultimately, there is a belief in the system. And you wonder, as the tournament goes on, if they are actually going to evaluate that option, if Sargent can't give it a go, um, or do they continue and, and maybe try Ferreira or try right again? Um, I don't know why you would try right in this game. It doesn't make any sense to me when you're going against a back line of Van Dijk and Ake to try and win in the air. But maybe you just sort of believe in that enough that you go with it. I would be surprised if Sargent played on the basis of how that injury looked. And so maybe this opportunity is there and Greg has sort of been slow playing it in the press by saying we haven't given it much thought. Of, of course he's given it thought. It would be ridiculous to say he hasn't given it thought. For as much time as he has, for as detail-oriented as he is, they of course have thought about it. And I just wonder what they think is the value proposition of sort of reducing the effect of either... Wea himself by moving him to center forward of the overall collective does he just think that this this collective is the collective that works and that either Reyna or Aronson don't fit to start in it I I don't I don't believe that so you're right I, I think there is a, an intent to offer by maybe starting Wea up top um, instead of uh, going with your traditional striker you took three and ultimately I sort of understand why you would want to try and carry it on but for me I, I don't I, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to try it other than unless you believe that this lineup has sort of forged enough of an identity that we don't want to break it up by introducing almost a completely different way of playing because unless you ask Weah to do a lot of dirty work and not really have much of the ball, you're kind of going to be nullifying somebody, whether it's Pulisic, Reyna, or Weah by playing them up top because in the current system, the way that they're playing right now, that player often feeds on scraps. And so you're basically saying you're going to reduce the impact of one of your players by, or completely change your way of playing by moving someone, a non-traditional striker into that position. I think we're underestimating the ability of these U.S. players to adapt because Pulisic adapted for the England game to having to play a lot more defensively based mm -hmm. on how the U.S. was approaching that game. You know, and I don't think England's that different from the Netherlands. I think England's slightly better than the Netherlands, actually. And I think I think I think England's a good deal better than the Netherlands than okay, the Netherlands, fair. in my view. Um, and so I guess I look at it as against England, Haji Wright started. There was a reason Haji Wright started against England in Greg Burhalter's mind. So I'm kind of leaning toward Haji Wright starting this game given Sargent's injury. Um, and Ferreira, by the way, has not played a minute. Right. 
which which, um, which was kind of surprising to me, honestly. I, I'm right. I'm I'm really stunned that like he hasn't even brought him on as a substitute option, even in moments where maybe if you play with two up front, like they would be the two up front, you know, like in in substitute right. scenarios where you just like brought everyone on. That Wright has worked his way into consideration, and Ferrer has worked his way out of consideration to such a degree. Right, and, and I, I expect that we'll see the same central midfield from the U.S. I expect Zimmerman will come back into the central defense. Um, I'm not expecting any changes in goal. And one thing about this tournament, Greg Berhalter's lineups, nine guys have played, have started every single game. There haven't been that many changes that we've seen. I'm a, like, you would have, I would have expected a little more rotation, but mm-hmm. recovery has been good. And I would say this, that like, this isn't like CONCACAF World Cup qualifying where you had just two off days between games and you were traveling a ton. You know, like it's three off days between games you're in the same bed every night. The U.S. has a really good facility, sports science group, um, and guys seem to be recovering pretty well. And they're and they're jacked. I mean, that's one thing about having a young team. Like they've got a lot of energy. They're young guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you and, and you know, only only Yunus Musa, I, I think. Well, I'm not, I don't want to say only that. That would be singling him out. But there are some players that, despite their youth, can't go. The full ninety condi- the, the the full ninety minutes, and for a lot of players that are based in Europe, I mean, the, even even though it's not that hot from everything I read, it is humid. And you know, I'm, I I play soccer on a Wednesday night in Miami, where yeah, it's you know not ninety degrees anymore, but that humidity can still hit you. And so right. if 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 that's not something you're used to, or you're just sort of not that level of ninety minutes fit because you haven't been playing like that over the course of your career, but yeah, I mean. It's why you you feel confident about maybe Pulisic's ability to get back back out there because the conditions are ideal to recover someone in that amount of time. I, I actually I wanted to bring back that point um, that you mentioned about Pulisic, where he would sort of take any uh, any amount of painkillers. Is it not <laughs> almost underrated about his commitment to the U.S. in a weird way, or like his desire? to be this star, right? Because like, I think a lot of what's assumed about him is that he's sort of an unassuming character and that he's not this big personality. He's not the captain, right. despite the fact that he's a leader of the generation because he doesn't really have the temperament for it. And yet, I think the one thing that is sort of underrated because we talk so much about his ability and, and what he's meant to the to the country as a someone who's leading through a generation of players, it's kind of astounding how much he seems to care about this and how much more yeah. he wants to give and how like the, the intangibles are also there for this player along with the tangibles and what we talk about with him as a soccer player. I, for as much as the uh, sort of older U.S. generation gets heralded for the grit and the mentality and the desire to grow the game, I think Pulisic feels that too. And it, it would it, it, it shortchanges him to just talk sometimes about his technical and tactical ability and his on-field ability when he offers that amount of give a shit. Like, he really yeah. wants to do this for this country. And I think that we should also be talking about that because it's a part of his story in the same way that his on-field ability is. His desire is similar, in my view, to previous U.S. generations, despite the fact that he sort of has a little bit less to earn in that respect. It's a really interesting point, and I'm glad you made it, because I look at, and I'm going to make a comparison here, and I want to like be clear with everybody. Christian Pulisic is not Diego Maradona, but Diego Maradona, in addition to all his otherworldly talents, playing for the national team was the biggest thing to him always. 
he like he just always brought it for the national team. It was like so much bigger than club soccer in many ways to him. And not every player has that. Even great players don't have that, that feeling for the national team. The other comparison I would make is to John McEnroe with Davis Cup, mm. which might be surprising to some people to hear. But <laughs> John McEnroe, great individual player, viewed as petulant, difficult, loved playing for the United States and was a great teammate. And I, I, he got somebody like me who was not that big in the tennis to like watch Davis cup back in the day. And that's more special and more rare than most people realize that sort of talented superstar giving up everything for the national team. And, and I think Polisic's got it. I don't know how he got it, but he's got it. And well, yeah, I mean, it's not even the how. I, I would ask the why. Why do you think it, it means this much to him? I mean, that's the question, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it has to do with his, the influence of his family. I think it has to do with what he grew up watching. Um, you know, we're still at a stage in the growth of soccer in the United States that the World Cup is still so much bigger in the U.S. than Champions League. Even as Champions League is probably a higher level of play and it's every year, the World Cup still defines so much in the United States. And I think Polisic's part of that. He gets that. That's why it was so traumatizing for him when the U.S. failed to qualify four years ago. And he showed it. So you want that from your star, but it's not guaranteed. And so it's great to see him have that feeling. And you know, one thing he said tonight at the press conference I thought was interesting was he admitted that like a year ago, two years ago, he was trying to do too much for the national team. He would we saw this. He would try and over dribble and lose things, lose the ball and, and, you know, promising attacks would die because he didn't trust his teammates. And he's like, he totally trusts his teammates now. And he said he felt good seeing Brendan Aronson come on for him in the second half the other night against Iran, as he should, by the way. Yeah. And, and so that's an important lesson. Like he feels like his teammates have his back. He's got their back. And that's part of the great chemistry inside this team. Yeah, and and that honestly is something that I I think that Gio Reyna can learn a little bit because that was that's always been my criticism of him when I when I've watched the U.S. is that he he likes to take things on on his own. As a matter of, like it's weird that you can sort of take stuff from from promotional video, but I saw him do something similar in one of those. Hey, look at us at training camp. It was Reyna running through three, four, and five defenders. And obviously the skill is breathtaking. It's the clip that he's most known for is that technical ability of running through uh, the entire Mexico defense at the Azteca and then just unable to finish it off. But he does have a little bit of that don't trust his teammates. And that Correct. might be that might be a reason why he doesn't play more, honestly. Um, but uh, I, I do think that Pulisic has absolutely developed that skill I, I want him to be one of the 11, but obviously the star of that 11. There's sort of a very fine balance in between what you're talking about, which is, you know, the, the player who is over-reliant upon himself and the player who doesn't contribute to the game enough. And I think he has struck this balance so far at this World Cup. It's why I think this has been a brilliant coming out party for him in that respect to deliver in front of American fans that, like you say, I mean, the Champions League final... Um, that he played in was watched by, you know, a little over 2 million people on CBS. 
the game that he scored a World Cup goal in was watched by 15 million people in the U.S. Uh, between Fox and Telemundo. So, like, it, the, the, the stage is an order of magnitude bigger. And not to be myopic, but on the show that I work on, Dan Levitard's show, like, the World Cup is getting a lot of oxygen because, like... It, it is capturing the attention of the country in the middle of the NFL and college football season. We have college football championship weekend this weekend, week 13 of the NFL. We're in the thick end of the NFL season, which obviously commands still an enormous amount of attention, but the World Cup breaks through both as a brilliant sporting product and as something to be talked about uh, by you know these, these shows and podcasts and television uh, uh, shows that are meant to cover sports. The World Cup is breaking through even in this crowded environment because it's such a big stage. It's the biggest sport event on earth and it just dwarfs anything that Christian Pulisic can do at club level and I think he uh, has the emotional intelligence to recognize that by the way just to show I'm doing some actual reporting over here I, I've been poking around on the Gio Reyna situation um, and it's not going to like set the world on fire but basically what I'm told is there have been no incidents between Gio Reyna and Greg Berhalter to cause this um Gio is very disappointed, as you could see from the video that U.S. Soccer itself posted at the hotel where everyone's celebrating, and Gio was like hangdog. That's how he looked in the mix zone following the Iran game when he walked by alone, um, me and others. Um, you know, like, there's no bust-up with Greg Burhalter. He's not injured. Um, he's just not getting chosen. Now, what I'm getting the sense from my reporting is that he's not being communicated with too much about why he's not playing. And that mm -hmm. to me would be a shame because I think coaches should communicate to players information that they don't necessarily want to hear, but they should hear. Um, and that's, that's an interesting part that I, I haven't done a ton of reporting like on how Greg Berhalter shares bad news with players or does he, or do, does, do, do his assistants do that? A lot of times it gets delegated to assistants but I still remember covering the O2 World Cup, another World Cup where the U.S. did quite well. And even in the midst of that, there was confusion over Casey Keller thought he had been told he was going to start a game at that World Cup instead of Brad Friedel, and then he didn't. <laughs> and so <laughs> it, it, like, there's weird stuff that happens inside mm -hmm. tournaments. And even with teams that are doing well, you have players who are upset. And it's obvious right now Gio Reyna's upset. Um, well, I, I mean, it, I, I hear you, and, and I can completely understand that, right? That, you know, he thought, he, he thinks that this could be his coming out party as much as anybody else's, right? He thinks he he's that good. Team. Right, and and he carries himself as someone who can, can bring an enormous impact, and he can, but is it not a bad sign to you that he can't even put that aside for the hours after an, an enormous achievement for the team that he's on? That he like he wouldn't walk through the mix zone jubilant. That he wouldn't get back to the team hotel jubilant. Even if it, even if inside he's really upset about it. From a team standpoint, it's still a great night for the team. I saw plenty of players celebrating in the post game locker room that have not played a minute. I know that they don't have the talent, the ability that Gio Reyna has, but everyone there is meant to play a role in the team. Are no, they not? Look, this is a really interesting conversation. I. I don't have full information of how Gio Reyna is acting inside the camp on a daily basis. If he is sulking round the clock right now, that's not great. This team's doing well. You know, so I'll try and get more information. Um, he's a good kid. I know that, like, everyone I've talked to on the team says that. 
So they don't think he's an asshole. And, and not having an asshole on this team is actually pretty important because there have been some on this team over the years in the not too distant past. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I mean, he's also one of the youngest guys on the team. I think he's still learning things and figuring out how to deal with stuff. We've seen him be very emotional when he's gotten injuries in his comeback at Dortmund. You know, like he, he doesn't hide stuff. This is a kid who's been crying at times in front of cameras when he leaves the field. So am I still surprised he's only played seven minutes? Yes. Do I, knowing what he can bring to the table, do I hope he plays more than seven minutes against the Netherlands? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and and I I hope he gets a half hour, honestly, against, yeah, against the Netherlands. Um, he because did. he should be afforded the chance to make an impact on this game. And I, I still don't know going into it kind of what the shape of that that those 30 minutes are going to be but I can't imagine it's the US out of sight and they're and they're defending and that might have been the reason why he didn't play against Iran I think if for sure if they were nil nil with 60 minutes gone he would have come on no question no, I mean like I think, that's it, the I think thing. it was it's the like game the, state the game state of the Iran game did not call for Iran to play much if at all and I get mm-hmm. it he's not a a high energy defensive guy he just isn't and yeah. so I'm okay with that, actually. I'm talking more about the England game where he didn't come on until the 83rd minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this Netherlands game could be a situation. By the way, it could be 120 minutes mm-hmm. in this game. And the U.S. does need to be thinking about how to spread minutes and use the bench even more smartly because there's a lot more to think about with 120 minutes and penalties, uh, potential penalties. I was talking with someone earlier about who might take penalties. I feel like... Polisic took the big penalty against Mexico in the Nations League. Um, U.S. hasn't taken many penalties in competitive games. I was trying to remember the one. Like, how many do they have in uh, in World Cup qualifying? Like, I, I, I very few. That was part of the problem. They didn't earn any penalties. Yeah, um, and you know, like I, I think I think a Tim Weah would would be a guy most likely to to take a penalty if he's in the game. He might be out by then. A Brendan Aronson, anyone who takes set pieces well, Aronson, Acosta, you would think. Um, I don't think Tyler Adams strikes me as a great penalty taker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, attacking players though, and maybe even um, Zimmerman, maybe Ream might have the confidence to step up and take a penalty. I, I fully I think, I think, I think Reem, Reem is a better shot than Zimmerman for me. Um, I, I just looked up uh, the numbers. So during qualifying, they had two penalties. They were both in the same game. The 5-1 win over Panama against Orla- in, in Orlando, and Pulisic took both of them and scored both of them. Those are the only uh, pen- uh, penalties they got during qualifiers. Uh, during this past summer, Haji Wright had a penalty against right. Morocco and converted it. Um, Gio Reyna has scored a penalty for the U.S., uh, back in a summer friendly in 2021 against mm. Costa Rica, was that the that was a friendly after the Nations after League, Nations wasn't it? League, yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 before the World Cup, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they are uh, they're they're not there's not really a ton. Nicholas Joachini has made a penalty uh, for for <laughs> for the U.S. That wasn't one of those COVID friendlies. Uh, I think on on uh, on U.S. soil against Panama. He was uh, taking the MLS expansion draft, wasn't he? <laughs> He, uh, yes, he was by St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> St. Louis cities. Nico Joachini. Well, it was c- city in all caps. We, 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 we have to, we have to emphasize that the city must be in all caps in all moments. Are you serious? 
Yeah, yeah, that like they're like that's their branding. Their branding is like I'm if you look at any that. of their press. You're not doing that. What do you mean? You're you're not you're not living up to the branding. By the way, that actually is also the case for the for the Miami Heat, uh, the Miami Heat, the NBA team. They are the all they are the all caps Heat. Go to any single story on their website, and it says all caps Heat. I hope nobody in the media follows that. They don't. Good. I cer- I certainly don't. It's like Sounders <laughs> FC. Who says Sounders FC? Like, nobody. Like, nobody. Nonsense. Nobody says that. Um. I, I assume Matt Turner would be in the goal for penalties. Great shot stopper. I know Sean Johnson is good at saving penalties, but like that whole Louis Van Hall, like 2014, changed the goalie right at the end for penalties. I don't see the U.S. doing that. I wonder if Louis Van Hall would do that in this game. Um, so that's an interesting aspect of it. Um, let's talk about some of the other stuff that happened tonight. Yeah. Um, Germany is out. Mexico is out as of last night. Belgium is out as of tonight. Belgium, the team I had going to the final. Um, <laughs> not great. Yeah, your, your, your boy, your, your, yeah, your boy Roberto Martinez couldn't uh, couldn't come through for you, and he is out as the Belgium manager. Him and Tata Martino were out within the hour. They're, they're less, they're, man. They're, they're, These guys are open. Yeah, I know, um, and we got we've got open jobs where in in Columbus. That's uh, it. Although right? it's been it's been reported that Wilfried Nancy is probably going to get that one. Uh, which would obviously open up a spot in, uh, in Montreal. In, in Montreal, um, but I, I don't. I don't think Dr. Martino is coming back to to manage Montreal. If I'm Columbus, um, I hold off on the Wilfred Nancy appointment and talk to Tata. I mean, they are a club that wants to operate on that level. Um, and Roberto, by the way. Yeah, for Why sure. Um, Roberto's going to have a hard time getting a good European job after this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and just in general, I mean, the perception with Belgium, and we can get to it. Um, is that for the last eight years since, I mean, I, I was kind of going through it today in my head, their first tournament where they showed up with, wow, look at this squad, was the World Cup in Brazil in 2014. And right. the overall feeling around that team is they, they've disappointed ever since at Euros and at World Cups. They have not lived not in up. 2018. To, they got to the semis in 2018. That's fair. That's fair. And and they, they beat Brazil, right, in the quarterfinal? Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's a, that, that's, that's a great result. But I think ultimately... The the feeling in the overall is that group should win a major tournament. And I know that it's really freaking hard to win a major tournament. And there's some bits of the squad that are imbalanced. There, it's been the same center backs the entire time. Uh, right. Fullback has always been a problem area for them. And they try, you know, to to make up for it with midfielders that, you know, are, are attempting to play wingback. But I think that group, it just feels like with De Bruyne, Hazard, Lukaku, uh, and 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 the other attacking brilliant players that they brought through, even Lukaku today, the chances that he didn't put away, terrible. Some of which I'm I'm watching on my television right now, uh, and I feel feel awful for the guy because wow, he's not he a, wearing he's not it at full strength. Game. He's not at full right. strength, and I felt bad for Rom like punching walls after the game in front of cameras. But, but it's not even it's not even like being not in full strength were the reason why he didn't score those. Like no I terrible mean, finishing. Like, like yeah, like he had it on his foot. Like actually, not once but twice. Yeah, good defensive. He had play it on, on his belly once. He just had to chest no, it I in. Mean, like it's it's inexcusable, totally inexcusable, and and they're out. You know, and they haven't played well. I mean, Morocco beat them. Um, you know, this game. I don't think this Croatia team's that great, but like they did enough. Um, Morocco won the group. Cool to see an African team win the group. 
I'm excited, by the way, that Senegal, Morocco are in the knockout rounds four years after no African teams made the knockout rounds. Um, African coaches of those teams. So Ghana's got a shot with an African coach. I always hated like basically the feeling with these African teams that like, oh, we got to hire some white European dude to have success. You know, no, you didn't actually. Um, and, and these are fun teams to watch. Ghana's been incredible to watch. Cameroon's yeah, been, Ghana's been a great watch. Ghana's been a great watch. And, and also, by the way, as a real, I was trying to do the research, see how far back it goes, but Japan, an Asian team winning a group. Uh, so we had both an Asian team and an African team win a group today. Um, South Korea won the group that the U.S. was in in 2002, but they were hosts. So if you go to non-hosts, I went back and looked up all the way going back to 1970. And I couldn't find an Asian team that had won a group other than South Korea in 2002. So uh, hmm. fair, fair play uh, to Japan for, for winning the group today. Uh, With Spain and Germany the, in it. Right, exactly. Considering the group Beat that they Spain were and in. Germany. And they lost to Costa Rica. How? What, what? This World Cup, man. This World Cup's crazy. It is crazy. In a, in a fun way. I'm enjoying this. I, I like the fact that like very few teams were on zero points heading into match day three. Like Canada and Qatar, I guess, were the ones. And <laughs> But every other group, all the teams were still in play to some extent. And, and that's mm -hmm. made for a really good final day. We've gotten incontrovertible evidence that FIFA has to change their plans for 26 and not have three team groups. And if you do have three team groups, I've posted this on my Twitter, an ingenious plan. And I'll try and explain it very quickly here. Instead, if you have three team groups, instead of playing games within the group, you match up like group A and B and the other ones that way. Ooh, and you have so you're every, they're essentially 16 groups. And so, well, so you, every team in group A will play every team in group B three times and your points after those three games inside group A will determine which two teams advance from the group, but you can still have, um, simultaneous group right. stage finale. So instead of, instead of playing within the group, you have, you have sort of concurrent opponents essentially. Is, Correct. Is, is, and so is the, the only thing that freaks people out is how can you have people competing in the same group, but they never play each other. I get it. But like, so mm -hmm. what? You're being measured against the same opposition instead of against each other. It's, it's yeah, just a so different way of, uh, of measurement. What, and the only, why, why couldn't the, you do, why couldn't you do, uh, you know, 12, 12 groups of four and you, can. you and then like the the eight best finishers get a bye to the round of 16. And then there's sort of a, like a Europa League-like round of teams 9 through 24. Well, what you're going to see is that most likely at the next World Cup, 12 groups of four, and third place teams are going to advance. And there's it's going to be sort of an arbitrary, not great situation for those third place teams, but that's how it's going to work. But that, I mean, but that, that doesn't, ultimately the issue, and this happens in so many American sports and nobody learns the lesson of the NFL, right? And not even the NFL learns the lesson of the NFL. The NFL is popular because of scarcity, because you have to have a good season, not a mediocre season, a good yeah. season to make the playoffs and right. a, an incredible season to, you know, host throughout, which is an enormous advantage. And there are only 17 games. And yes, if NFL owners could, they'd play football every day of the week. But the body is physically incapable of doing so. And so by, by human limitation, they have stumbled upon a model of success in, in sport and in business that nobody else has learned. Everyone else is adding more playoff teams, adding more games, adding, 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 when the real threat of 
peril of jeopardy is the reason why sporting events are amazing. It's why all six of the group stage, group stage conclusions that we've seen so far at this tournament have been amazing because of jeopardy. It's yeah. hard. It's hard to get out of the group. And yeah. that's the point. The point is that it's entertaining and that good teams go out and that like ultimately these games are entertaining for that reason. So adding more is not the when when ultimately that's the bulk of the games, right? The bulk of the games is the group stage. There's 48 games in the group stage. Yeah. The bulk of the games need to be interesting. And so, and they are because of the current format. And the more you sort of let more teams through, the Euros group stage sucks now. When the Euros group stage was like one of the greatest things in sports because awesome teams were going out. Like you have to add Jeopardy. It's the only way to, do, to really have compelling sporting drama. This World Cup format is perfect. There was it no is. need to change it. And yet here we are trying to change it so that more countries can have more profitable TV deals. That's really what this is about. By the way, ultimately- if... If FIFA ran the NFL, they would play every day. They would. They absolutely would. There would be Wednesday night football. There would be Wednesday night. No one learns the lesson that like you you ch- like the World Cup, I'm already starting to miss it and we're not even done with the group stage yet. I'm like, "Oh my god, we're like we're we're done. We're we're a day away from being done with four games a day." Like we're 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 getting to a stage where all right, team like just day after day, teams going out, teams going out, teams going out. Like I I already miss it. Right, and yeah. yet, it's the same thing with playing the World Cup every two years. I like I I already have this feeling of yearning, like oh my god, like this this thing might be over soon. And I understand wanting to capitalize upon that and then just giving people more of it. But the feeling of missing is an important part of sports. It's yes. why when the Super Bowl happens and you don't have a competitive NFL game for seven months, you're like, what am I going to do for the seven months as an American sports fan? Like that's a big deal. And so I I that's no one no one seems to learn. Way. No, well, yeah, right. I mean, ever ever since I became a soccer fan, th- there is no missing of anything. There's always something that's going to, I mean, for for heaven's sakes, after the World Cup final, there's going to be Boxing Day fixtures like seven days later. So I'm not gonna be missing a, I'm not going to be missing a damn thing. However, but like that, the scarcity is the point. The scarcity is what makes sporting events good. And no one seems to learn that lesson. I appreciate your mini rant here because I agree with it. And it's also well done. Um, yeah, 48 teams in a World Cup. Actually, I'd prefer 64 for the reason That's they would fair. introduce Jeopardy to the group stage. If you're going to play all these games, it's not that significantly different. Um, but well, we're stuck with 48. If you, did, if, if, you, if you did 64, then I would say only the group winner gets through and we have only a round of 16. And then all of a sudden you'd have some some really interesting uh, scenarios. No, there'd be too many dead rubbers. I mean, oh, you think so? two out of four is what you want advancing from a group. You don't want three out of four. Uh, because fair. then, the, then the games lose their importance. But one is too um, few, and and three and and three is too many. You're right. We're we're in the Goldilocks. I I, I gotta I gotta learn my own lessons. All good. All good. Um, so, is there anything else to say about Germany, Mexico, or Belgium? Well, I I already kind of did my rant about Mexico, and I've seen a lot of people uh, sort of artfully write about this, which is that they have major federation issues to solve. Mm-hmm. I think Germany is probably the country that I think has the fewest problems. I'll be curious where your colleague uh, who you've been rooming with in Qatar thinks, Rafael Honigstein, because I don't think Germany has that big of a problem. I just think that they need to find some fullbacks and a striker. But even still, I, I think they'll be fine at the next World Cup. Honestly, because of Jamal Musiala. He's got he's, he's gr- got eighteen he, he's got eighteen months to develop before the next Euros. And I think in that period he's gonna become one of the world's best players, and Germany will be just fine. So I, I don't I don't think they have that big of a problem. Belgium, 
have to bring about some regime change. I think it's time for the Jeremy Dokus and the Charles de Quetelaires to take over yeah. and, and allow a, a younger group of players and, frankly, a younger group of defenders, Charles. please. Oh, Charles, Charles, excuse me. Charles, Charles de Quetelaire. Uh, the, <laughs> the opportunity uh, to, to come through. Um, but, uh, yeah, with Mexico, I think, I, think that, I think going out was their Cuba moment. I, I think they... Yeah. They need to take a hard look in the mirror. And honestly, before they host this thing, they need to have a bunch of players. I saw uh, and put out a like sort of uh, you know depth chart of here's what we've got going into the next World Cup. And they listed some younger players. There's got to be players who aren't on that list right now right. that we are not aware of that make a huge step up at you know, Pachuca and Chivas and Monterrey. And they need to stop bringing in imports from other countries that aren't actually significant, impactful players and start relying on homegrown talent, and start relying on homegrown coaches, and frankly, stopping firing coaches every five yeah. seconds in that league. Because right. Diego Coca, who won the freaking league with Atlas twice, had one bad tournament, and all of a sudden was looking for the exit door. Like that, it's ridiculous. Mexican coaches need to be developed. Mexican players need to be, need to be developed. And there needs to, like, honestly, for their culture, there needs to be more patience. All the way through. You sound from, like Jurgen Klinsmann you, talking about culture. And I, I mean, for, for me, I, well, I mean, like, I, I watched that league. I've covered that league. And, like, a coach would have a run of bat, five bad games and get fired. Like, yeah. it's ridiculous. No, it's crazy. Especially, it's crazy. Now, especially now that, like, relegation isn't as much of a – there is no relegation. You pay a, a big penalty. I understand that owners don't want to pay a big penalty, but they've gotten rid of relegation there. Like, have some patience. Develop coaches, develop players, emphasize youth. Like it's time. It's time for that league to figure out how, how to best suit its national team because whatever they're doing now is not working because I don't I don't even see the future for that for for that nation as a footballing nation. Look, there this was an old Mexico team due to choices that Tata Martino made and failed on. Utter failure. And I respect Tata Martino as a coach and what he's achieved in his career. Utter failure with this Mexico team. Embarrassing. And their their motto for the next World Cup should be, we can't be Qatar 22. The Qatar team mm-hmm. being terrible, embarrassing at this World Cup. Qatar was terrible. And they shouldn't have been because they've actually been better than this in previous mm-hmm. tournaments we've seen them in. But like Mexico, man, you are a proud soccer country. And you couldn't advance from a group that had a truly bad Poland team in it. So figure out what the issue is. Take the leap with your young players the way the U.S. did a few years ago. Encourage your players to go to Europe and not take the money in Mexico. And recover past glories. Because Mexico's a great soccer country. But right now, they've got three and a half years, not four years, three and a half. Next Mm -hmm. World Cup in North America is basically three, just over three years away. Mexico's got to figure it out and they've got to make massive changes sooner rather than later if they're going to perform well in a World Cup they're co-hosting. And you mentioned sort of how they've picked an old team. Is that not, it, to me, it's an indication of, it's the same problem that the US had in the 2018 cycle, which was their generation of players from 23 to 30 was kind of absent. And to be fair to, 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 to Tata, that picked a lot of those players in this game against uh, or in, in some of these games, Jorge Sanchez is, is in that area. He moved to Ajax and Monterrey's uh, center back, Cesar Montes, and Jesus Gallardo as well, who actually I really like as a player and was probably my favorite Mexico player of this tournament. Luis Chavez, who they picked in midfield, and, and El Machinets and Alvarez in there as well, and Chucky Lozano. 
they just didn't do enough. They didn't do enough at this tournament. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a gap in players who assumed a mantle, the Carlos Velas and the Chicharitos, the way that they lifted Mexican soccer, uh, particularly in the World Cup in Russia when they beat Germany and how well they played on that day. And Hector Herrera obviously was amazing in that World Cup. Like you, Ultimately, the World Cup kind of comes down to where your players are between 22 and 30. It's why... Uh, you know, the U.S. is kind of a bit of a surprise in that they have players that are younger than that that are carrying them to that place. But it's a measure of where that generation is. And some of the teams that you've seen go out, Belgium don't have a ton of players in that generation. Uh, even, you know, in some respects, the Germans, right? Like they have some good young players, but the players in their prime, I mean, they have Ilkay Gundogan, who I, I know is a friend of the program, but he's he's on the wrong side of 30. And Nicolas Sula is on the wrong side of of, of his career arc, in my view. There's, there's a, you know, there's a couple of players on the wrong side of their career arcs. And I think for Mexico, the, play, the players who are in their prime were not good enough to carry a generation at the World Cup. And I think we saw that from kind of the moment that it kicked off. And frankly, for the moment, qualifying kicked off because it didn't qualify impressively whatsoever. No, maybe they'll appreciate Juan Carlos Osorio a little bit more now than they did when he was the coach. Um, Is it time to bring back El Piojo? I don't know, man. I saw a funny survey on Twitter about who Mexico should hire next, and the one I saw said Erv Reynard, uh, wow. the, the Saudi Arabia coach. That would be entertaining. Only, if, if, only, so, if, only, if, if only I could see Fabi him on the sideline more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Just to, I would watch more Mexico games just so I can see his, his touchline attire, his beautiful white button-down shirt more often. You know, people make fun of me wearing a black T-shirt every day here, and I've got like 13 of them. But like every Nard wears the same white shirt every day of the year. <laughs> with, <laughs> with the same button undone every time. I just want to see him slowly like unbutton like more one button every game <laughs> like to the point where he's like <laughs> totally bare chested if, basically. If he, if, yeah, if he showed up on the touchline shirtless, would anyone even say anything? Nah, like, man. Yeah, no, that, that, that's our favorite now. Makes sense. The best. The best. Um, let me tell you about the funny interview I had with Dutch television tonight. Ooh. Um, so I got cornered by Dutch television. The first thing, and she was very nice. She was like, how many World Cups have you covered? And I was like, oh, I've done eight men's. And I started in 94. And she's like, oh, I was born in 98. And I was like, oh, I feel old now. Um, <laughs> and but then it was sort of a weird, like we talked a little bit. She asked me questions about the Dutch team and the US team, and that was fine. And then she like started quizzing me. She's like, how much do you know about Dutch soccer, like in the history? And I'm like, some. And she's like, do you know who Johan Dirksen is? Hmm. And, and I was like, honest, no. And, <laughs> and then she goes, okay, do you know who, this is like on camera. Do you know who Johan Cruyff is? And, well, I mean, it would so be like, fairly, it'd be fairly okay, ridiculous. So if I you just didn't. explained to her, I've covered eight world cups on the men's side, 13 overall. And then she asked me with a straight face if I knew who Johan Cruyff was. And it made me wonder, like, what does she think American soccer journalists are? Like, uh, seriously. Probably, probably rubes, honestly. I mean, like, <laughs> I was very nice. I was very yeah. nice on camera. But I, I, it was a weird feeling of having to sort of justify myself as knowing who Johan Cruyff was. Yeah. Yo, Johan Dirksen, by the way, I'm, I'm looking at Johan Dirksen's wiki page. Didn't miss much. 
I think correct. I, I think I, I I think you're good there. But I mean, I not, think he's I mean, like a media guy or something. Like in in Holland, maybe he used yeah. to play, but like, or maybe maybe he works for the channel that this reporter is from, and so like they're gonna play that. Yeah, they're gonna play that in the oh, studio and make him, make him feel yeah, make him feel bad about it. But like, I mean. I don't. I don't know. I and maybe. I guess if if you're asking the question, what do uh, Dutch or European journalists think Americans are? Maybe the answer is myopic, and that like and and, and we've and we've talked about this before because right. American like m- maybe not everyone knows that in America we can see every league on every streaming service, and, right. and we have this culture of watching soccer beyond our domestic league, which is not always the case in Europe, where the domestic league soaks up so much oxygen, but. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe what they think is, is that we're myopic and don't know anything about world football. And we just like when we're not covering the World Cup, uh, we're paying attention to like uh, college basketball or something like that. Yeah, it was it was just weird. Um, hmm. And um, it's a little bit like when like there's like political gotcha reporters who ask a candidate for president, like, who's the president of Zambia? And you're like, mm. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, to be fair, we did have Walker Zimmerman on the Dan Levitard show. And we asked Christian Pulisic about, or we, we asked him about Christian Pulisic's penis. So I can't, I can't necessarily say <laughs> that. Uh, I can't, I can't say that, uh, that our, our, our show does not do uh, some ridiculous things sometimes. I appreciate your anatomically correct language on the Dan Levitard show and your emphasis on getting non-euphemisms. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, yes, because I mean, it's, it's not a bad word. It's not a bad word. It's something that we, everyone can use in their everyday language. And yet there is an insistence upon me being alone on an island. Although I, I, I do think I got sent a tweet that like a local news reporter, uh, uh, said said penis on a on a like on a sports cast so maybe maybe one at a time the world is changing but for, i mean i for whatever reason i i did it like a year ago and it nothing has changed the look of fright on walker's face was actually kind of fun <laughs> i mean to be fair he was a cool customer again Good. we introduced him by by chanting usa by banging tables very loudly and he was you know like so he was he was all for it uh, our show is our show can be not be for everyone sometimes. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that Walker played along. It was it was a fun interview. I check it out on YouTube, uh, youtubecom slash and friends if you want to check it out. No, very good stuff, my friend. Um, we should probably sign off on the podcast here, but very good discussion. And let's do it again after the U.S. game against the Netherlands. Thanks, Chris. I'm not getting ahead of myself, but man, if we played Argentina. No, it's it's the Netherlands. It's the Netherlands. Let's focus. Let's focus. It's the Netherlands. Uh, but uh, this, this is a fun one. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time. See you next time.